0: I'm Dave Cornoyer. And I'm Ryan Hassman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording our sixth episode on Sunday, February 18th, 2018, after a brief hiatus because Ryan went down south to help make America great again. We're back.
1: Yes, thanks. It was great. We are in California, home of Ronald Reagan and... Richard Nixon and a few other strong Republican... Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Instead of doing the Nixon Library, we went to Disneyland, though. So Good
2: choice. Is America great again?
1: I can report that it is warm, <laughs> and Disneyland is great.
0: Today we're going to be talking about the BC-Alberta Pipeline War. How is Premier Notley faring in the war of words and trade against John Horgan? Where's Jason Kenney on all this? And will the feds be part of the problem, Or part of the solution. We're also going to talk about what's going on with the UCP, including the Innisfail Sylvan Lake by election, Don McIntyre's resignation, and Derek Fildebrandt's ouster. The next legislative session starts on March 8th, so we'll discuss what's in store for MLAs before they wrap up for the summer barbecue tours. And Ryan will give you some sage, fatherly advice for those of you who would like to be candidates in the next general election. And, of course, we'll answer some listener questions at the end of the show. But before all that, let's kick things off with some nomination news and political gossip, starting with Ryan's favorite topic, the Alberta Party. They're choosing a new leader on February 25th through 27th. Who do you see in the lead over there, Ryan?
1: Um, The biggest contribution I have to make about the Alberta Party is probably just some snark, but we'll keep it quick. Um, So, looking at an Edmonton Journal story two days ago, where the headline was, the membership is booming, And they report that it grew by 500%. sounds impressive, doesn't it? Well, I did a quick count. And if you take St. Albert as a riding, and you add three other ridings, Olds, Dids, Three Hills, Chestermere, Rocky View, Rimby, Rocky Mountain House, the UCP membership of those four ridings equals the Alberta Party membership of the whole province. So we are part of the problem, Dave, because we give these people so much coverage And it's disproportionate so good for them uh we'll see who wins i mean i can't imagine mandel losing but we'll see what happens and uh you know the thing about it that i think is more important leadership is one thing but it's really going to come down to a ground game so they're going to need 87 functional ridings 87 functional candidates so who are actually elected or nominated or chosen that's 87 places where they have to fundraise locally and they have to fundraise enough money to run a provincial campaign so even if they're only trying to win some smaller amount of seats which i don't think they're like i think sorry let me try that again even assuming they're not going to tr- put all the resources everywhere they have a huge obstacle to climb which is translating it's the same as it's always been translating from twitter support to on the ground so in my writing here on the association i sit on we have people doing phone calls we have people organizing events we have people asking for contributions. Who's doing that in all these Alberta Party ridings? Or who will do that?
2: You know, I, I've been an, Al, or I was an Alberta Party member when they first started. And I, during a leadership race, would have expected a lot more outreach. Like, I, I'm not a member now. I, I never renewed it. But I'm sure I'm still on a list.
1: I haven't heard Absolutely. a thing from them.
2: So what's going on?
1: Well, in lapsed members is the best list to phone. When you're renewing if someone has been a member before they're far more likely to renew than some person who's never been a member at all
0: yeah i mean i think what we're seeing is uh i mean you know i I think the alberta party has had i mean a few years ago they had a big kind of push and a big growth in membership and then it kind of died out and now they're having this leadership race and a big growth you know a big growth in membership relative to them uh and i think part of what i mean. I used to be a member of the Alberta party too and I haven't you know It's been a number of years, but I mean I think in terms of, of reaching out to previous members uh, I think there's been a turnover in the board a turnover in their organizers uh, And I think that they're not, they're trying to reach out to a different group of people. I think that uh, You know, especially under with someone like Stephen Mandel who I assume who would be in the lead I expect he's reaching out through a lot of his networks um, And a lot of former P- PC party networks that they're trying to trying to uh, trying to leverage so, I mean, I, I, would, I would be surprised if, you know, honestly, I'd be surprised if Stephen Mandel didn't win. he's didn't win this leadership race. He's the most high-profile prof- high candidate. Um, but, you know, it, when you're talking about a small group of, you know, maybe 6,000 members, what, maybe half of them should actually show up to vote, uh, you know, or maybe a little bit more than half if it's, a, if it's, an, it's, if it's an energized group. Uh, you know, weird things can happen. But um, someone like Stephen Mandel... I mean, he may seem a little long on the tooth, a little bit like he's passed before his or he's passed his best before date. But I'm I'm not going to underestimate him. He's a household name in Edmonton. He has a you know he has a, a long political career. He has a strong organization on the ground, strong networks across the province. Um, I I'm, I'm not going to count count them out. I'm not going to say that the Alberta Party is going to form government in 2019. But uh, but they might uh, they might play spoilers either way.
1: Well, this next year is going to be about the 29 campaign. So we're going to get into this later. But there's a budget coming shortly. This is probably the last governing budget a year from now. That budget will be the campaign budget. And so as the two parties gear up, the two major parties gear up and start thinking about the next election, they both move to the center because that's where the most votes are. So they're both going to appeal to, you know, the whole range of votes. And how much oxygen is there going to be for the Alberta Party? It's been the eternal question with them. Never mind the fact that the Liberal Party still exists and other parties as well. So I just don't see what oxygen they will end up with. If you hate Jason Kenney, you've got a better choice. If you want the pipelines and the economy and all the classic conservative issues, you've got a better choice. So I don't understand. You know, I don't see their path.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're competing to be, uh, I mean, they, they talk about being centrists, being moderates, but really they're trying to be another another uh, uh, uh Uh, reinvented progressive conservative party it's a smaller conservative conservative option so I mean I think that you know if, if you if you're if you're conservative but you're not comfortable with with Rachel Notley and the NDP and you're not comfortable with Jason Kenney and some of the social conservative baggage he brings along then I think that's what they're trying that's where they're trying to position themselves are I mean they really are just another conservative party another brand of conservatism
2: I can't I can't see them bucking the trend of you campaign from the left or the right and you govern from the center I just can't see someone effectively campaigning from the center And being able to energize
1: voters.
0: You know, campaigns matter. Uh, I'm not going to count anybody out.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I have one rumor. The innisfail Sylvan Lake nomination, which will have to be done now, I'm hearing that there are up to five UCP potential candidates out there. So I think it's a pretty safe riding for the UCP in a by-election situation. So, yeah, we'll see. I guess by legislation they'd have to be ready to go. Because the premier could call it. I actually don't know what the provincial rule is, but it'll be called soon.
0: Yeah, so. it has the yeah the by election has to be called by, a uh, by August fifth, twenty eighteen. So that's six months. I think uh, Don McIntyre resigned officially resigned on the fifth of February. So and the three candidates I've heard so far who've put their names forward to run in the race for the UCP nomination are Mike Walsh, who's a councillor, town councillor from Penhold, and he was going to run for the nomination against Don McIntyre uh, anyway, but now he's running in the by election. Uh, Devin Dre Drischian, who's the who's a former federal conservative staffer, and he's the son of the conservative MP for the area. And then, um, if I remember correctly, her name is Joan Barnes. She's a real estate agent and former town councillor from Sylvan Lake. So those are the three that I've heard so far. But I would, like Ryan said, I wouldn't be surprised if there's there are a few more candidates. It'll. This is a strong rural central alberta conservative riding the ucp is going to win it the you know the the, the real race will be the uh, will be the ucp nomination um it's highly unlikely that any other party is going to win it um so yeah the, the ucp race will be the more interesting one to watch and it'll be interesting but it'll be interesting to see if any if the other parties are able to uh, to get some interesting candidates as well
1: yeah and of course this is all taking place in the context of 87 other nominations so the party has said no nominations begin until may but they've also said they want them all wrapped up by the late fall. So, especially if it's August, by then, you know, this will be. It'll be interesting to see how the party balances that. But there'll be many nominations happening at the same time.
0: And this nomination, I mean, going into one of the topics we 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 uh, we were going to talk about today, I uh, might as well just go into go into that topic now. Uh, I mean the NSVL Sylvan Lake by-election triggered because uh, UCP MLA Don McIntyre resigned first was first resigned from I think on the Friday he resigned from the UCB caucus and then the Monday he resigned as an MLA I'm not sure w- what the order was it seemed that that he'd resigned from the UCB caucus first or was told to resign from the UCP caucus and then resigned as an MLA officially the following Monday after the weekend and he's been charged with uh, sexual assault and sexual interference. And there was a, initially a publication ban around that. And then I think, I think it was post media or CTV. I can't remember which news agency or news company, uh, took it to, to court to appeal the publication ban. It was lifted. And so we all ne- we now all know, uh, what he's been charged with and, and, um, and what led to his, uh, kind of unexpected quick, very, very quick departure from, uh, from provincial politics, hence opening up a by-election that no one really saw coming. Yeah. A
1: really tough situation. Um, the one comment I'll make is I'm pleased to see that no party has really tried to make this partisan. You know, everyone had a sense when the publication ban was still in place, and then certainly after, that this was something sort of outside of partisanship. And yeah, it's awful.
0: Also in UCP caucus news, uh, Derek Fildebrandt is officially in exile from the United Conservative Party caucus. Jason Kenney putting out a statement uh, a few weeks ago stating that the former uh, former Wildrose MLA, former UCP MLA, former official opposition finance critic would not be allowed to rejoin the UCP caucus after he was after he left or was ejected um, last year uh, uh, following a number of controversial incidents.
2: And and his reaction was. Interesting in that it was or maybe not interesting or surprising for Derek Fildebrand, but utterly defiant like it, it's like he didn't learn anything mm. and for a guy who as a, as a as a finance critic as a member of the official opposition carved out a niche for y- using defiance to his advantage. I, I feel like he demonstrated that he actually really does lack the savvy for politics like there was a way I believe there was a way for him to find his way back into the fold, and he he just salted the earth.
1: Well, he, he's a high-octane performer. Like, Derek had a unique talent. Probably, Is that
2: why he was always buying fuel in, yeah. in jerry cans?
1: <laughs> yeah, pun intended. <laughs> you know, we were talking about this. A year ago, he gave a keynote speech to the Manning Center Conference in Ottawa. I wasn't there. But I understand that it was tremendous, amazing. And then three weeks later, he was kicked out of caucus. So it's like there's two Derek Phildebrands and he's his own worst enemy. And I think the thing that he truly has not learned is any sort of sense of responsibility you know you talk to staff behind the scenes and sure he's a high performer but he also just couldn't see things through other people's eyes things through other people's eyes he you know he really just seemed to think that he was mistreated with all this stuff and he didn't see the other side the leader and jason nixon their statement was that he met with them they spent something like an hour talking about it asking him is there anything else out there and that a couple of weeks before that meeting, he had been charged with the poaching, I believe. Yeah, hun- yeah he, hunting
0: on private property. And no one else permission. knew.
1: So he, I mean, I, maybe he forgot, but it just seems like it was all about Derek. And so he's a young man. And I think, you know, his career still has way more years ahead of it than behind it. But he's really going to have to change his core acceptance of responsibility and get some empathy, I think.
2: Do you, do you guys see him bouncing back? Like, will we see him in Alberta... Provincial or, or even municipal politics again in the near future. Well, you know,
0: he he he. I think he only arrived in Alberta in 2012 when he started working for the Taxpayers Federation. He arrived, he arrived here from Ontario, and I hear that the Progressive Conservatives in Ontario are having a leadership race. So, I mean, if he was interested in, in kickstarting a, a career a political career in Ontario, now might be the now might yeah. be the perfect opportunity to step in. He missed the. I deadline. hear that's quite the race over there. Yeah,
1: it is quite the race. You know, I'm I'm so happy as an Alberta conservative to finally give the the focus to someone else for a while. Let them be the crazy conservatives just for a little while. You know, I still think Alberta is not going to hand over the crown. We have a lot of um, interesting stuff that happens here, but no, I don't see Derek coming back for a while. I mean, Jason Kenney is so powerful and Derek went ballistic, you know, in the interview after Kenny's statement came out, Derek's response was just unbelievable. If you think you're ever coming back, you don't do a response like that. And you know even his comment well I guess I guess taking responsibility for your actions doesn't get you a political reward. Well Derek that's exactly what you did not do. Like that is the exact thing that you should have done. And so when you've gone that hard against someone as powerful as Jason Kenny I don't know what you expect. Like what the end game is but I would say it's gonna be a long road back. Martyrdom
0: is uh, is is I think what what uh, what what it, what it appeared he was uh, he was going towards.
2: I wonder what the uh, list of references on his resume says now, because it can't be Brian Jean, <laughs> and it can't be Jason Kenny,
1: or the Taxpayer Federation.
2: Right. We are now
0: entering week three of the ongoing trade war. Uh, uh, Pipe wine war, pipeline war, boy b- war, war boycott, wine boycott
2: I don't between even, Alberta and British Columbia. What are we even fighting about anymore? Is it oil? Um,
0: what,
1: what, what is it good for? Alberta what hates, is it good for? Alberta hates the whales, I think is basically uh, what it is. I, you know, I was in Victoria on Friday, and I went down to the harbor to look for the poop pipe. <laughs> and I I didn't really. But I was there, which just reminded me of how aggravating this is. You I know don't that, think
0: it's actually in the harbor. Wait, I think it's out to the out like closer
1: to the sea. I thought you were talking about a street performer. <laughs> <laughs> this issue is so obviously it's theater and it's politics and it's so aggravating. And Dave, I actually and Adam, I actually think this is Trade War Two. Because right before Trade War one we had the license plate thing on the Eastern Front so yeah. so we were fighting a war on two fronts <laughs> yeah but but now we're allies with Saskatchewan
0: <laughs> right and and uh, Alberta has, has always been at war with British Columbia and has always been allies with Saskatchewan now
1: Well if you think about it we probably have a little more in common with our Eastern ally but um, you know you can't win a two two front war and so I guess not at least happy to be friends. With the Saskatchewan Party to our east and at war with the NDP to our west, is that? I don't understand. Yeah, sure. now I'm really confused. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so the I mean, we were talking about this earlier off off mic, and 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 I think it's important to point out that that since I think on was January 29th. Uh, BC Environment and Climate Change Minister George Heyman announced. I'll, I'll read it here. Uh, announced uh, rules to limit the in- limit the increase of diluted bitumen transport until the behavior of spilled bitumen can be understood and there is certainty regarding the ability to adequately mitigate spills. Now, from what I understand, that that's all that British Columbia has done. They haven't actually stopped anything. They've announced they're going to study it, and and they initially announced that they would. Halt increases of, of transport until they studied it, and then this past week, after the speech from the throne in Victoria, British Columbia Premier John Horgan kind of changed his 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 position, saying that they they're actually not going to limit anything until after they study it. So, so we have this big trade war we have with 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 uh, Alberta um, Premier. Premier Rachel Notley announcing and and, and instituting a, a boycott of British Columbia wine So the Alberta Gaming and Liquor Commission is no longer gonna going to import British Columbia wine and we have Notley talking about further consequences and further retaliation against British Columbia uh, This week if 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 there isn't any any um, any movement on the BC side uh, but really we've had British Columbia basically just release a statement uh, and and they haven't actually stopped bitumen transport. We we have this week the the B.C. government announced that they were going to I think they're going to be an intervener uh, or support the city of, of Burnaby in their lawsuit against the National Energy Board. Rolling my eyes. So I I think I mean going back to to what what really is, is kind of cementing B.C.'s opposition to this in terms of their government is the the agreement between. Uh, between John Horgan's NDP and Andrew Weaver's Green Party, that the BC government they, they, there's a minority government situation, and the NDP are governing with the, the support of three Green Party a- MLAs in BC. Uh, and part of their kind of part of their governing deal for the Greens to support the NDP was that the government would use all the tools in its toolbox to oppose. I think it actually said all the tools in its toolbox to oppose kind- the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain pipeline like expansion.
1: Founding. Just like the founding fathers wrote it up. Wrote it up. Yeah, the toolbox. so
0: so if I mean it seems like the the BC government is like Finding kind of crazier and crazier tools to use um, At what point are they gonna run out of tools in their toolbox?
1: So number one the reason why nothing has happened is because there is no mechanism the mayor of Burnaby and The premier of BC does not have any actual legal tool to stop this. But what we're missing is this is a disproportionate fight. This is more like guerrilla warfare one side doesn't have to have an actual mechanism. They're just looking to impact market confidence. Their goal is for Kinder Morgan and for TransCanada and all the other pipeline companies to decide, you know what, forget this. It's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. So what they're introducing is uh, uncertainty and risk into the calculations. So they don't have to have an actual tool. They just stand on the soapbox and wait it out. And these companies are thinking, well, if the government doesn't have our back, and no one really thinks at the end of the day, Trudeau is going to pay a political price for that. He's looking at the seat count in B.C. versus Alberta. He's looking at the situation. I mean, his response has been, well, it varies depending on where he's responding, but tepid at best. And I, I don't think it's going to get built because on one side, you have a private company looking to make an investment. On the other side, you have popular opinion, which is really hard to fight. Yeah, that, 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 That's what we call democracy, though.
0: You know wow. we we have we have a have a, uh, I mean I'll, I'll 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 take on two points well two points or three points there, um, I mean first of all this is this is the pipeline, Al- Albertans are convinced that we need it for our economy British Columbia a huge chunk of British Columbians, it's not all British Columbians because support for for the pipeline is split in BC but a, a significant amount of British Columbians are convinced that they don't need it and and I'm not really sure the BC com- economy actually needs this pipeline more than Alberta does, and third, you know we have a. Uh, or they have a government in BC supported by another party, uh, you know, uh, the NDP, supported by the Green Party, who were both elected on the platform of of opposing the Kinder Morgan pipeline. So I'm not really surprised to see the BC government opposing it as strongly as they are, because that's, you know, we have... Yes, there's we have you know there, there's the National Energy Board and there's these these processes that have been created to take the politics out of it. But I don't know. It, sometimes you just can't take the politics out of these issues. And there's there's real opposition to the pipeline in BC, and we have a government in BC that is that is reflecting the will of a significant amount of their population.
2: Like when you play the movie through for this, and the Alberta NDP let's say failed to get this done, so. Let's say we have a change in government. Then at the federal level, we have a change in government and Andrew Shears' conservatives come into power. Doesn't that kind of screw over BC in an even worse way? Like if, if they don't, it's weird. Like I know, I know they don't, they don't need this. They don't want it, but if they don't concede it, it could be much worse for them with a less favorable government from, from BC's perspective.
1: Our whole federation is built on an agreement around power that the federal government determines interprovincial trade, external trade, and the provinces develop the resources. So the thing about BC, and I've made this point on Twitter more than once, is they may not like bitumen, but the whole point is every province has a different type of resource. Quebec has hydro. We don't have the same sort of things, but we have this gift of oil. So if we decide that one province doesn't have to agree on a particular natural resource, one day that's going to come back and bite them. BC's biggest exports among them are mining and forestry. Well, when the, when the eco-activists get tired of picking on oil, I mean, they pick on mining and forestry all around the world as well. And so I would love to see a B.C. provincial premier respond to something exactly the same as this, but with some mining challenge. And that's why I get so frustrated with this, because there's no way to run a federation. Sometimes I think we have a dysfunctional federation.
2: The best federation is still the one from Star Trek. Yes, the United Federation of Planets. Well, and it's a hard They, con- they have their issues too. But, but, the Vulcan
1: pipeline was very controversial. But
2: you know what? They're, they're not dealing with Some scarcity. Some said it was illogical. They're not. De- right.
1: Gene Roddenberry has written <laughs> scarcity out of the equation, although in the later series he realized that that's not a thing. Yeah. Scarcity is universal. I think there are a bunch of Ferengis in BC. Right? <laughs> so, the point is we have a process. It's objective it's neutral it looks at societal impact the other thing that happened i think while i was away was the trudeau government revealed that because this neb and its reliance on actual science is so uncomfortable for the trudeau government they're going to replace it with something far more amenable to their vision which is you know basically saying we're not going to develop natural resources we're not going to develop oil certainly like if they get their way on this and it's just so frustrating because we have a province on the East Coast that fished the grand banks into the ground. We have a province in BC, which has huge mining with all sorts of nasty tailing ponds. ponds. And like every no province has a pretty picture, but we look at it as a whole, as a net impact. We say, Okay, how do we mitigate this? And I'm all for the strongest economic sorry, environmental regulations in the world. No Albertan wants to risk the coast and make the whales sick. But look at this. Since Exxon Valdez, how many spills have there been on the West Coast? Zero. How many shipments of oil come into the West Coast every day? Lots, because they use double-line hulls. The Port of Montreal has oil coming in every single day. So when John Horgan, because all politics is local, when he says, well, we just don't trust that nasty bitumen," he's being so irresponsible because he's bringing in this uncertainty, this regional dispute that doesn't need to be there. Like, we all know there's risks with oil. Look at lac megon tick. So if you don't have a pipeline, are we going to rely on trains? And I know this is cliche, and I know every conservative says this, but how does John Horgan drive to work in the morning? And the other point that I'm going to make is this is also a good reminder of why proportional representation is a terrible idea. You have a major province basically held captive by the special interest of two or three seats. So at least in... The traditional Westminster model, you have strong governments. And so the government, like Christy Clark could have, or even Horgan, could have said, okay, we're going to lose some support, but we know what the right thing is. But no, under this situation, because they rely on the Green Party, basically three, the tail is wagging the dog here.
0: Yeah, but, but 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 this is the first past the post system that they were elected under.
1: But it's a glimpse of what PR would be like. A minority situation where a small party has disproportionate control. So yes, this was elected under FBP. I
0: I I think in terms of the of the the John Horgan's response, I mean I think Kinder Morgan is kind of I mean it's important to recognize that number one the Kinder Morgan pipeline already exists. I mean, it's been there for fifty some years. You should tell your NDP friends that. Too. I well, I do. <laughs> uh, you know, drive if, on, on that scenic drive to Jasper. Yeah, it follows the highway out to Jasper and yeah. then goes through Jasper National Park. So this is a you know, it's an expansion of a currently existing pipeline, and I think, but because it's it's an expansion of a pipeline that already exists, it is kind of a low stake thing for someone like John Horgan to oppose at the same time in terms of of, of the the economic impact it will have for the province of B C. This isn't something new. This is for, for British Columbia, I mean, aside from the construction workers that'll be hired to build the pipeline in the short term, I think the long term wise it actually has a short term you know, yeah, short term economic impact.
1: It's an awfully short sighted way to run a federation. I, I understand that all politics is local, that he only gets elected by rider but elect, elected by voters in his riding and in his province. But if every province thought that way, we wouldn't get anything done.
2: How how do you guys think that Premier Notley has done through this whole thing? Uh, One of the things that I've noted that I think is really interesting is her tweeting messages from BC citizens saying that they support Alberta's position. Which I think is kind of an interesting communications tactic. But how do you think she's handled it?
0: I, I, I'm surprised she hasn't like hit the road to to Golden and Kamloops and Revelstoke already and uh, and started holding uh, pro pipeline town halls in the, uh, in British in the interior already. The places that, that are in our time zone. Yeah, that might be. Well, I think Peace River's in our time zone. I don't know. We're, I don't know exactly where the uh, where the boundary is. Golden it's, is. Golden is. Oh, okay. Somewhere it's in the interior. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think Notley. I mean, she's draped herself in the Alberta flag. She is the she is the the definitely the, the leader of this province and the leader of the the pipeline fight, the leader of this province and in in, uh, in this uh, the, on this issue with the with the, the trade war with BC. I mean, I think you kind of see a little bit of, uh, um, and I, I imagine it's probably intentional, but kind of hearkening back to uh, to Peter Laheed with with the uh, the pipeline or the, the oil wars with uh, with Ottawa and and Pierre Trudeau back in the in the seventies and eighties. It's like Um,
1: these roles are written in and the actors change. Yeah. But the roles are pre-determined.
0: Yeah. So I think this looks good. I mean, you have, I mean, what I think is really interesting is you have, uh, you know, you have Notley uh, uh, fighting for the pipeline. You have support lining up behind her her lining up with the support of chambers of commerce business associations corporations big uh trades unions the united steel workers, uh, united food and commercial workers i believe also put out a statement in, in in support of uh of the pipeline so you're seeing a pretty broad coalition of uh of pro pipeline voices from Alberta, um, and I expect on the other uh, on the other side of the Rockies, uh, we're probably seeing a, a, a similar coalition kind of digging their heels in on the other side. But I mean, I think for Alberta, I think it looks I think it looks really good on Notley, and and I think she's I mean, as, as has been said in in a number of articles over the past couple weeks, you know, three years in, I think she's really caught her stride on this particular issue.
1: So I'll give her credit. I like I like this version of Rachel Notley's NDP government the most um, because it sounds most like the. Parties that I support, but my my comment would be, what is this costing her internally? So it's kind of the opposite of the argument I just made with you about John Horgan. You know, she may do this; she may be playing the role, the proper role of an Alberta premier, looking at the big picture, looking at the actual science and the balance of impact versus um, benefit. But how does this playing with her internal supporters and her core? We saw last week or two weeks ago she had to announce that she's not participating in the NDP federal. Convention. So, what's her end game? Let's assume that it won't be built. So, does she hope in that scenario that she'll have done enough to prove to the middle of the road voters of Alberta that she put Alberta first? If her strategy is to stoke the anger and the indignation machine at that likely result so that she gets ahead of it and she says, Look, I fought tooth and nail, well, are voters at that point going to stick with her? Or are they going to agree with her that Alberta got a raw deal, but they're going to trade her in for the real deal? It's the classic, like, why would you want the pretend Captain Alberta when the real deal, who actually supported the pipeline before you did, is waiting in the wings? So Jason Kenney has been reduced a little bit to standing on the sidelines and saying, yeah, I'm with her. But I think if, if this goes sour, there's no end game for her because the voters are going to say, you know what, Miss Notley, we agree with you. Alberta got screwed over. So we want Jason Kenney to go in there like a wrecking ball. And, you know, you see that the federal government is not going to bleed for this. They're just not. At the end of the day, Trudeau doesn't really believe in this any more than she does. But he has so much more to lose. All these seats in Quebec, all these seats in BC, all these seats in Ontario. You know, he may have four here. That was a high watermark. There are three now. Right. So there you go. And two of them in Calgary are done <laughs> gone like they're not coming back for them for a whole new generation so what's the I mean to one sense she's done her best like from one perspective what else could she have done but put on the Laheed Cape the captain Alberta Cape good for her but I still don't see the end game for her because at the end of it all she's not gonna get a pipeline half her party is gonna be upset with her and Albertans are gonna want to go with the UCP
2: but where does half her party go like they, they don't they don't show up at the polls they're certainly not where they're not gonna vote for Stephen mandel's alberta party
1: well so the ndp like any other party is a coalition of interests there certainly are different ends of the ideological spectrum represented one of them would be the hardcore eco activists who believed who were frankly with her before she was premier you know
0: i think that there's i mean there's definitely something that something that the ndp need to be conscious of because i think there is a an environment you know there is an environmentalist base in the party that probably isn't very happy with, with not such as her taking such a strong pro pipeline stance. But I think when it comes down to it in the election uh, pipeline, the pipeline issue aside, um, I think the difference between Rachel Notley and Jason Kenney and the policy differences and the, the positions on, on, on funding, um, an investment in social programs on the budget, on like I think those issues are going to be clear differentiations um, well, that, that that will drive NDP voters back to the NDP. I don't think the NDP are going to lose much of their own support over this issue.
1: Well, we're, we the UCP is going to bring up the carbon tax every other word, right? And so this will shift back to being about the local situation, and many people will be reminded. Endlessly about the carbon tax and the impacts of it. And so whether you like it or not, it's going to be a referendum on the carbon tax. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I, I think I mean that's the and that's what the UCP wants I mean, I guess it depends on you know I don't know what the big issue of the next campaign is going to be campaigns matter What's just some you know as we've seen in a number but basically it the past two or three Alberta elections, the big issue that's that's def- the defining issue of the election campaign in the first week is rarely the defining issue at the end of the campaign.
1: Although uh, one of the most predictable ones, though, I agree with you, is the leader in power. I mean, one of the in Canadian elections, typically the leader in power is part of what it's about. Always, Harper's second election, Trudeau's second election, Notley's second election. It's always the same pattern. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. Did she do a good enough job? Yeah. What does she really believe? What do we wish she could have done? How she keeps her coalition together versus our coalition will be together on this because we just want them defeated. Yeah. Any- and,
0: and, and I think that in, in terms of, of this pipeline issue, I mean, I think it works for I mean, it works for the NDP for a number of reasons. It has legs. Number one, uh, it's 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 the NDP have been able to change the channel on. It's not they're not fo- focusing on social issues. They're not focusing on, on those kind of issues that weren't really that, that were solidifying their base, but weren't really working to attract more Albertans to them before. Um, and it's also an issue that that has Relegated Jason Kenney to the traditional role of official opposition leader in Alberta, which is irrelevant. Um, this is the first time yeah, that Jason we, Kenney we, has experienced the Alberta yeah. official opposition role, where he's basically kind of jumping at the sidelines, waving his arms, saying, "Pay attention to me! Pay attention to me!" That's and true. no one's really paying attention to him.
1: So, but what happens in QP on March? The well, end? and
0: that's the and that's the thing is when they all get back to the legislature, we're going to see the you know the UCP is going to push their defining narrative, the NDP are going to push their defining narrative, and then the other parties are going to try to the, trying to push trying to going to try
1: to push their way into uh, into the spotlight so i mean i think she has also never i agree with partially what you said but she has never faced a jason kenny and whether you like him or not um, jason kenny has never faced a rachel not yeah no that's true so you have two dynamite personal political forces and qp here largely doesn't matter i like to say there's like 400 people who watch it and 87 of them are mla that's
0: that's generous that's (laughs) generous but i hear they have their own tv channel now Welcome to
2: 1997. (laughs) It keeps Emma Graney on Twitter. (laughs) Yes.
1: So it will be interesting because historically, when Kevin Taft was playing that role, when others were playing that role, they also didn't have like a 180,000 member. Sorry, I should know the real number. A more than 100,000 member party behind them surging in every poll consistently for five years like there's never this is not comparable to other opposition leaders but I do agree with you that he's never faced anyone like her either because in in government we had we <laughs> I guess I'm partisan when in government Jason Kenney faced Stefan Dion Michael Ignatiev, and then Trudeau near the end But you know we he really never faced someone as dynamic and potent as her and she's put on the Captain Alberta flag Cape Are you
0: thinking about running for politics? Three-time candidate Ryan Hassman has some advice for you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dave. So this is a regular segment that we previewed last episode. And it's something that I want to do, we want to do to contribute to our audience. It just provides some experiences and some tips and also just some stories from the, from the trenches of what it's like to run. And hopefully we'll have some other people on other than just me who have been through it. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Um, we're going to get into some questions, but... I guess today, because this is really only the second one, I need to start with a really foundational piece, which is, first things first, why? Why do you want to run? It's a Good question. It's an easy... Yeah, there's lots of sarcastic answers. It's an easy question, but it's also the hardest question. If you recall, and we love Westerning references, there's a scene in the late series when... Toby is talking to Josh about the type of person that runs for president.
2: He's not presidential material. Why? Why? Because he left. He left Congress. He left Washington to go home and do small, important work. You had to haul him by the hair out of the family bed. Did you never stop to wonder
1: if that was a good choice? He stepped up. When presented with the opportunity. Yeah. Man,
2: and that job, shouldn't have to be presented with anything. It's for someone who grabs it and holds on to it but someone who who, who thinks the gods have conspired to bring him to this place, that destiny demands of him this service. You don't have that kind of drive, that hubris? How in the hell are you going to make the kind of decisions that stump every other person in this country? How in the hell are you going to hold that kind of power in your hands? You don't know he's not that man. You don't know that he is.
1: That was a little bit melodramatic. We're not talking about people running to be the president of the United States. But the question is... You know why do you want to run Uh, another reference to a ted talk and maybe i'll tweet out the link and there's a book by simon sinek it's called start with why and i think that's really important i understand how not all candidates because i think stephen harper was not like this at all but i understand the typical candidates mindset our need for affirmation for validation we like people we like having influence we like being in the buzz in the center of attention in the center of action But I can tell you from personal experience that that is not a reason to run for office, or at least it's not sufficient. So there's two things that you have to figure out, the internal and the external. So in my opinion, here are some good reasons why you should not run for either provincial or federal or even municipal office. You shouldn't run because it's a great job, it's a good gig, the salaries. The paycheck. (laughs) Yeah, you should not. That's what I would have done. (laughs) I need (laughs) a new job. (laughs) Because you pay for that paycheck.
2: It's a long-ass job interview, too.
1: Well, and um, you have 100,000 bosses or 48,000 in a provincial scene. You should not run because of power or prestige or the access to media and things like that. Those those things can be, for some people, the worst part and for some people, the best part. But that's not actually what running or serving really is about. So just to dispel some of the myths of this, um, some of the costs to running, and you know, this is a bit of a cliche, but there really is, even for someone who couldn't be more extroverted like me, there's an emotional cost, certainly financial. There's a cost to your career, to your personal relationships, and to your family.
2: I actually wanted to ask you, Ryan, what was it that compelled you to stand as a candidate?
1: Partly, I ran for good reasons, and partly I hadn't totally thought it through at first, but it was part of the process of going through the candidate nomination where you have to. You go visit a thousand party members kitchen tables and they ask you that and you have to think it through in a hurry, right? And so the reason was I really believed I had something to contribute. A combination of skills, experience, enthusiasm. I, You have to think that you're part of the solution. You know, you have to think that you would make a difference because if you don't, it's... There's way easier paths in life.
2: Do you you start, like, I always wonder if it's like being that individual who is mad as hell about an issue, and that's what drives them, and then they sort of flesh out the rest of whatever policies they want
1: to affect. Well, for some people, yeah. I mean, some people get into it because of a particular policy or a topic or an issue, and that is a very compelling way to power your drive. You know, if there's something in particular that you care about, Say you're a pro-life activist or you're a pipeline opposition activist or whatever. That would be a good way. Because when things get tough, when you're tired, when you don't want to do it anymore, you could tap into that. I
2: didn't really have that. You, you knew you enjoyed politics and you, you wanted to contribute as, as a candidate.
1: Yeah, that's right. The question is, um, and they actually talk about it in the West Wing in a different clip, you know, the question. Why do you want to be president? It's a bit dramatic. But it applies to why do you want to be a town counselor? Why do you want to be on the school board? If you don't have a good answer, the very first voter you meet who asks you that is going to decide that you're not worth their vote. So you need to work this out. It seems like an easy question, but it's not. And you need to sort of have it on two levels. Internally, what drives you, what motivates you to get up in the morning. And then also the words, like what do you actually say? When you meet a thousand people in three months, you're going to need to kind of rely on some... Conversational building blocks, I like to say, so things that you use again and again that are genuine, they're from your heart, but you don't have to rethink it every time. So your elevator pitch, basically, like, yeah. Your elevator. You know, pitch. I'm
0: running because my kids,
1: or, right? You know, the future, or yeah.
0: you know, yeah, okay.
1: And sometimes it's an opposite, it's a negative motivation because this NDP government is terrible, or sometimes it's positive because I want to make a contribution. It depends on the type of pitch you're making, and you know, the most important thing is not what would please your political consultant, or your writing association president, but what would actually give you internal energy? Because you run on adrenaline for the first little while, but then you hit the wall, and it's hard. So the questions that you need to ask yourself, why me, why now, why this instead of something else, and what is it that you bring? So if you're just a political hack and you just love it, and you would run for anything. You'd run for MP, you'd run for MLA, you'd run for the city, whatever's open. I'm not saying you shouldn't run, but you better have a better answer than, well, this is available now. I think of Patrick Brown. He was a person who was involved in student politics. And then he ran, he was part of the Harris government. And then he ran federally. And then he went back to the province. And someone said in an article I read this week, he's never left the student politics mode where his motivation is himself. It's almost like a game. It's like, what's next? What, what can I do? It's really not that compelling to normal people. I mentioned that I understand what some candidates, not all, because some politicians, maybe the most successful ones aren't like me in the sense of like they need that validation. But to a lot of us, I do understand. There's another link of a famous Eminem song about how you only get one chance and, you know, your mom's spaghetti and all that stuff. And, you know, I think that speaks to candidates because we think there's this moment in life. We think this is it. This is my moment. If they do a biopic about me, this is the scene in the movie. And in a way, you have to think that way. You have to think that you're the answer. But you also have to realize, and I've, on the other side of it now, have realized there's always another campaign. There's always another nomination. You don't need to do it right now. But you need to feel like you have something to contribute. You need to have an answer. So in my, something about politics that is hard to really understand until you've been through it. Politics isn't as much of a harsh reality as it is an indifferent one. It's a big machine, and it'll chew you up and spit you out. A lot of it is out of your control. Opportunities, things that happen, events that are outside of your control. There are many NDP MLAs who didn't think they would be MLAs today. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just what politics is. So start with your why. First, convince yourself. Look yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, do I know why I want to do this or does it just seem like a good gig? Then convince your family. If you have a spouse or a partner, convince them. Because let me tell you, if they're not on board, luckily mine was, it would be a very miserable experience. Then start with your friends and your family. So when you tell your buddies or your friends or whoever, hey, I'm thinking about running, and they're like, why on earth would you do that?
2: Is that the reaction that you got? Well, my
1: political (laughs) friends are like, yeah, awesome. My normal people friends are like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. But it's a really good exercise honestly. If you can't convince your buddies who know you the best or your friend or your, sorry, your family who love you the most, then you're not going to convince a thousand members. I think it's a good way of of, of differentiating it is, is
0: categorizing your friends, the political friends and and the normal people because yeah. the political friends are like it will give you different responses than the normal people will in a lot, in right. lot of cases. So I think that's a good point point. And you know
1: how you win a nomination by convincing a thousand normal people to care Yeah And so if you can't convince the first circle of your life to care or that this is a good idea You're not going to sell 500 memberships. then once you've convinced yourself your partner your family and your friends Then we start the process where we get into next time, which is called building support.
0: Thanks, Ryan. I think you shared some pretty good information, some pretty good uh, uh, tips for people wanting to run for interested in running for political office. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing your segment again next time. Thanks.
2: We're going to open up the old mailbag now. Uh, Adam, what do we have in our mailbag today? Well, I think because we were on a bit of a hiatus with Ryan uh, fixing the United States over the last few weeks, we only have one question today. It's from uh, Courtney Ter- Terrio from from Dinner Television. He wants to know, um, has peak Ontario politics topped peak Alberta politics?
0: And, and I, think, I think Courtney is referring to the Ontario PC party leadership where... Patrick Brown resigned and then said he didn't resign and then rejoined the leadership race, which now includes... On the
1: day that the caucus kicked him out.
0: Yeah, he's been kicked out. Uh, it's kind of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a hat tip to Lyle Oberg, uh, being kicked out of your caucus and then running for the leadership. Um, for those of you who, who remember Alberta politics in the mid-2000s.
1: You know how many uh, crazy things have happened between that event and today?
0: Lots. Oh, in Alberta politics? Oh, yeah. No, no. I, think, I, I really think that Alberta politics really went, stopped being boring and went really sideways when when Ralph Klein lost the leadership review in about yep. 2005. In and, fact, then, that and then
1: things totally just went weird. Even that particular result, I was there at that AGM and they didn't release it. It was late, it was like midnight and everyone's thinking, what's going on? And then it came out, what did you get, 56% approval?
0: Fifth, uh, I think it was 55.4%.
1: And then it's just been a poop show ever since. And so, Courtney, no, we're not even close. Alberta, until the leader of the opposition and 90% of their caucus crosses the floor to the governing party, which I think is unprecedented. And, in the, and, and, and then loses the next election to the third or third or fourth party. <laughs> yeah. Until things like that start happening. I mean, the, Alberta, sure, Ontario is giving us a run for its money. And I must say, as a conservative, it's fun to not be the crazy cousin for a little while. But Ontario would have to keep this up for like five years. Oh, I don't know. Pre- pre- like pre- pre-
0: Premier Doug Ford sounds like a, he
1: could keep up the pace. <laughs> that would
0: be one way to to
2: ranch, racket, ratchet it up a bit for yeah. sure. Yeah. Do you think Kathleen Wynne is having like a drinking contest with her colleagues for every time something crazy happens with the Ontario PCs?
0: I I think that two months ago or even a month ago, we would never it would have been crazy to think that the Liberal Party of Ontario was was the most stable political party in the province of Ontario (laughs) right now. Like two months ago, they've been like 25 points down in the polls forever.
1: And one of their senior advisors went to jail. Um, one of their cabinet ministers was accused of like a harassment thing, and this is recently, and it has just not even re- not even registered at all. No,
0: it looked like it was going to be like a total slam dunk for the Tories in the next election, and and I mean, it might might be, I don't know, but
1: well, Katalina looks pretty good to me.
0: Well, she she looks better than. Uh, then Patrick Brown and Doug Ford and whatever cra- other crazy person is running for the Ontario PC Party leadership, so we'll see if uh, in the in the next coming months if the Ontario PCs can uh, can salvage uh, what they had and uh, and continue their uh, continue their ride to power in in, uh, in Ontario.
1: You know, and it's similar to how Canadian politicos all watch the Americans. We all watch Ontario politics too. Like I don't know a whole lot about I didn't know a whole lot about the Saskatchewan race or even the BC race. I have to say, but Ontario politics has us all captivated. Partially because a lot of us have spent time in Ottawa, but also it just matters. It's a third of our country. Well, and the media won't stop talking about (laughs) Ontario politics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a city that has like a fifth of the country, and it's in the GTA. It's
0: also the center of the universe, as we're told. Yes, it is. Yeah.
1: So uh, I wouldn't say I'm loving it because I'm very upset about the prospect of the win liberals being rewarded with another victory, but I do think there's a silver lining here. Certainly on the serious topic of the harassment stuff, but even just on the Ontario Progressive Conservatives bringing their best face forward for this election. Carolyn Mulrooney is a grown-up with a successful career. If her name was not Mulrooney, a lot of the criticisms wouldn't be brought to her. Sure, she wouldn't get the attention either, but she's a serious person with philanthropic and business success behind her. She's a mom. Frankly, I think we could use a lot more moms in politics. And I'm excited. And even Christine Elliott would be an upgrade on Patrick Brown. So as long as Ford doesn't win, I think there is a potential upside here.
2: Thanks for your question, Courtney.
1: Well, that's it for this week. Yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producer, Adam Rosenhart for helping us to put this episode together. Thanks for having me, fellas. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Also, submit a review. To the Apple, what is it actually called now? How do we get there? Adam? Apple
2: Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Yeah.
1: Reviews help. Please give us five stars. Adam will pay you a dollar per star,
2: out of Dave's
0: pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Uh, send us your feedback or ask any questions you have for us for our next episode. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at @DaveBerta or on the Dave Berta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.